coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. I want a greater number of people to feel what it's like to not have the burden, both physically, certainly mentally, that I'm seeing out there a lot. And I'm trying to build a very different message. And that's why I went with Eat Up again. It's not cut out, it's invest first. I have a very, very, very simple concept around nutrition that uh, some people find incredibly effective. And it is the mixed meal concept. It is exactly what we should be doing, but for some reason, saying it as a mixed meal seems to connect a little bit more. Carbohydrate, slow digesting, a protein sort, and healthy fats. You, if you follow that principle for your main meals, you will feel completely different. Hello, I'm Daniel Davey. I'm the performance nutritionist. I am delighted to announce that I have written a new recipe book and nutrition book, Eat Up the Next Level, and that's out the 27th of October. And this has been my episode on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons, and learnings. Today we spoke with Daniel Davey for the second time, founder of Davey Nutrition, performance nutritionist, and best-selling author. Daniel brings a wealth of experience at the highest level of performance nutrition, having worked with Leinster Rugby and the Dublin footballers. He brings a plethora of practical, implementable and simple advice for people looking to build better nutrition and hydration habits. His first book, Eat Up, Raise Your Game, had massive success, which we spoke about today, the top 10 for 27 weeks. His new book, Eat Up, The Next Level, promises the same success. We asked about the title, the dedication, thanks for sharing Daniel and what you've learned from your dad and feelings around when a book is near completion and finished. Trust about what others share, cultures around high performance sport, mixed meals, where they are important and small things that make a big impact are great talking points. Plus nutrition in the corporate world. Daniel explains why the gut microbiome is involved in every aspect of our health, mood, skin, immunity, production of essential nutrients and well-being. We had a wonderful dialogue around eggs too. You can find out more about Daniel's work on his website at www.davynutrition.com. Daniel Davey, welcome back the second time on the show. How are you doing, sir? I'm, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Uh, anytime. What's it like having a book that's in a top 10 for 27 weeks? What's, what does that feel like when you read that and hear that? I actually didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When you tell me now, I'm very surprised. And I, I, I've had, um, I have moved into a, a, I suppose, a different level of perspective on what what gratitude means uh, over the past um, two years, and I'm I'm grateful for a lot of things. And I I I heard uh, uh, Damien Brown, um, the record breaker, the the man of the moment, talk about gratitude and the little things. Um, so it's uh, it's really really nice to see that. 
information that you share with the world is being received and people get that and that it in some small way is uh, is helping people achieve what they want to achieve within their nutrition and their lifestyles. I'm not surprised to see that or hear that because most of my friends, most of the people I know, people I work with, people I interact with, that book is on the shelf or that book is in the kitchen. And um, when you finally got it out there and you kind of had them a few weeks after when it started to get into probably reality, was there a lull like post-Olympic lull even where you felt like, oh, the book is done now and it's out there? What did that feel like when it was in the ether? That's a good question because I know exactly what that feels like. And I feel a little bit like I don't know um, in this particular period of time, I, I'm feeling something like that. And I don't know if that's because I've moved on from team sport or not. For whatever reason, I didn't get it with the book because you mentioned the period of time, I suppose, that uh, I felt that it was connecting with people. And um, I suppose even now, people are still, it's a small number, but people are still using it and getting it. So it, it is different. Um, the other thing about the uh, the, the book is, is that, you know, it's 18 months or two years in progress and then uh, you release it to the world and you don't know what the response is. But it's almost like there's a there's a long period of time for you to come to terms with what you've done and it being completed and you're waiting. Mm. So uh, it feels it feels it feels really good, I suppose, just without saying the same thing again, uh, that it's it's having an impact. The next level and the dedication at the start of it we're always interested in who, you know, who, who would you dedicate it to? Who are you acknowledging? Could you tell us a little bit as to why it was that your old man you wrote it for? Well, over uh, now it's three, it's, you know, just two, almost two years uh, that he was very sick. And over the past year, uh, coming to terms with uh, losing him, you start to, and I think it's an age thing. I think when you get well into your thirties, you start to think about what, who has shaped you, what impacts you the most. And then you're obviously, you know, you're thinking about your impact on the world. Uh, so it was an incredibly, it was an incredibly reflective period. And I dedicated to it to him because of the impact that he had on me as a person and the values, I suppose, that he led uh, and that he lived and for me, it was that he was very driven in what he wanted to achieve, but he was also an incredible listener. I used to, I used to, sometimes you'd tell him something and he wouldn't respond. And <laughs> did you hear me? And then he still wouldn't <laughs> respond. But he was just processing what you had told him. And he was thinking about how could he give you a really thought out response and I have there's elements of that within my own personality where people are going, you know, what's what's the long pause for? But he he had a within food, within communication, within relationships, within his dealings with people. Uh, I learned a lot from him and I was very fortunate to be able to read quite a number of the chapters to him while he was sick. So I dedicated it to him because of that thing. And 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 and, and interestingly, um, and interestingly, my some of my family members uh, feel like it has it, it it was written at a very important period and it'll be nice to have 
it dedicated him, but but also the references to him as well. Thanks for sharing that. He said he was driven, and I think we'd all agree that Daniel, you come across as someone who's very driven. What you'd have achieved, second book, bestseller, twenty-seven weeks, as we found it this morning. If you were to think back, maybe on your family or yourself, where has the origins of that drive come from? Where has it has its foundation, its seeds? I, I I'm really interested in nature versus nurture. Uh, I'm I'm interested in the concept and. Uh, I've done a lot of reading around the space. And if I see studies, you know, you, you see about studies of twins who are separated at birth and the different lives that they lead. And I, I, I know that there's a, a large, there's a large influence from both. My, 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 both of my parents uh, were creative and incredibly driven and uh, very, very, very hard workers. And I think that there's, we are, we're a product of a different time. My granddad fought in uh, in the Second World War, and uh, there was always this joke uh, that when when he left Ireland uh, at the age of seventeen or eighteen, you know, he went abroad and he was working on farms over in America, and uh, like it was grueling. You know, those times were really grueling. And he he got stronger and put on weight. And I feel like there's a lot of my family went through those really hard periods of time where it was uh, it was it was, you know, it was you were fighting for your survival. And uh, I, I mean, I grew up with those stories and you didn't want to be the one that was lying on the couch <laughs> <laughs> or get not getting out of bed <laughs> because you'd be pulled out and. I suppose that lives with you, doesn't it? With all the knowledge you've acquired, you know, winning winning a medal in 2016, then obviously with Bally Bowden I'm talking about, then you've got Leinster, Dublin, and even what you're doing now with Davey Nutrition. For for people listening, when when you're when you're getting loads of knowledge and information from different resources, different people, different different books, things you might be listening to, what is it about activating that knowledge? Because that's something you touch on. And I think we really see the value in that getting knowledge, but but so what? What can you do with that? I think uh, what you're what you're asking me is one of the most challenging things to figure out uh, in in for for me in my practice because I work in I work in behavior change, and I work in trying to ignite and influence people who 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 want to change or want to improve their health but they maybe they don't have the will or they don't have the the drive themselves or the interest and and you're trying to stoke that and you're trying to provoke that and it's the creative ways of of sharing information where you're trying to hook you know you're trying to say this is achievable. This is attainable. This is something that you can live, but I need you to experience what it feels like. So I think a big part of it is, is, is who are you working with? Who are you speaking to? What is their point of interest? What will engage them? And how can you get them to feel uh, what it's like to, to put actions and put habits and things like that in place for them to be effective? And and at, it's that attention that we need to give to it that I, I love trying to facilitate 
uh, in people. Looking into that a bit more, I know from my personal experience anyway, working with individuals as a physio, David, we've had conversations about this, how you can't just give them the off-the-shelf exercise program. You can't just give them the, the best practice or best evidence, you know, research to say this is what you should do for your Achilles or your calf. You have to try and find what fits their lifestyle, what fits their mm-hmm. nature, and the reason that they're doing it, the why behind it. How much importance do you give to the group around them? and the, the, the environment they're in. So if we had two individuals that we are looking after and they're very similar, but one went back to a high achieving club, let's say for a sporting background, the other was going back to an independent sport where they're working on their own and they mightn't have had a great support network. How much value do you give or how much input do you try and give to their social surroundings and how they can manage that? And there's a, and I'm not just saying this. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it's very appropriate to mention that there's actually a, a small section in my book that's dedicated to building your team Brilliant. and that it's um, uh, it's really relevant for everyone uh, in 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 your life or in their lives to have somebody to at the very least share your journey with mm. and uh, sometimes people make the mistake of of thinking it's a specific friend who works in sport, it doesn't need to be. It just needs to be somebody who cares about you. And I think in I, I don't know if it's a I don't know if this is an Irish thing or or, or something that's more a, a, a more global type of mindset. But we sometimes don't trust that others might care about what we have to share. And it's not about being selfish. It's about it's about sharing the smaller things that we know are important to us to be effective. So whether it's going for a walk with somebody or going to the gym with somebody or sharing recipe ideas or meal ideas, the sharing component is a huge part of my philosophy around health in general. So the more that we can build a team or more that we can build connection into what we do, and it the, the more value we're going to place on it. So I, I don't, um, I think it's a complex concept. And, you know, you talk about something like uh, shoulder rehab, or you talk about uh, a tendon injury that might be six months in, that you're going to have to be rehabbing it for. It's incredibly personal and you, you're never going to know who's in somebody's environment. But what you have to do is ask that person who's going through that the questions that's that's what i think is important i'm going on the train this morning from cool mining to pierce and thousands of people and uh say if i wanted to get to understand a little bit more about them you're a performance nutritionist daniel and i'm kind of looking around there on the train this morning i'm saying who here has eaten a good breakfast maybe they didn't all eat breakfast maybe some are just into the coffee maybe some are doing intermittent fasting black pudding avocado <laughs> for the people going into the docklands or or more so into say the business world per se, right? What what should they be trying to do a little bit more? Because we really see it with our corporate work here. A lot of the time, food falls by the wayside. It's not deemed uh, that important, but you've got some really interesting quotes to say it really can separate uh, high performers. So so why do some some people miss that, especially on, on those sort of train journeys or looking around and asking that question? Uh, because they don't, I, I'm, I have a very good friend and I, I absolutely don't mind um, 
I, I, I don't mind name dropping in this situation because he's been such a help to me. And his name is Declan Darcy. He was a a, a coach with um, Dublin through that very successful period. And I've become very close, very, very close to Declan over the past, over the past two years. And I, I just use these words all the time because he will say, Daniel, you need to pay attention to this. And the the attention is something I feel really, really strongly about. And it's building techniques to become much more self-aware. And I and I feel that I I'm 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 gaining the benefit of that in so many different aspects of my life. We kind of joked before we in a little bit earlier, just before we started about boundaries. It's actually about knowing how we are very effective. So I know before I came on this morning, uh, I I needed to have some breakfast because anytime you want to deliver something of value, you, you need to have your energy stable. You know, you need to have, you need to be able to concentrate and your brain is going to be deriving energy from glucose at a higher rate because I'm thinking an awful lot more about what I'm saying. So if you want to do that, I know I know I need a mixed meal. I need a slow digesting meal this morning. And I've had my coffee an hour and a half ago because I I don't want that major. Yeah, I don't want the buzz, too much of a buzz of caffeine. So these are very, very small things, but they really do make an impact on me and on my delivery. So even knowing what having a source of protein earlier in the day feels like uh, versus not having it or having a very simple carbohydrate meal versus a simple carbohydrate meal plus a protein and how satiated or or, or, or how your energy levels feel throughout the morning. Those are small things. And sometimes it takes having a conversation with the professional or sometimes it, t- it takes stopping, looking at the space that you're thinking about and trying new things. And I'm all for curiosity and exploring those things and those habits we'd love to unpack that a little bit more because there's so much value in that for people listening we're always talking about like focus and attention and how can you sustain it and if it's over 90 minutes or three hours or four hours what about the afternoon right that mid-afternoon slump when everyone's on their third coffee and we see it here in the office a lot Kiran now is one of the three in three (laughs) um What's 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 something we can do so that come to two thirty, we're we're still okay, we're still producing, we're still performing, we're not irritable, we're not tired, and of course understand there's you know there's sleep and it's maybe the morning and things like that. But maybe what are the fundamental principles we could consider? Well, we we sometimes focus far too much on on food uh, and and that that it is a very specific type of food when it actually isn't. It's more how you're living that period of time and it's how stationary you may have been. When you eat food, we we are going to produce hormones. Like the process is digestion then. So the focus becomes digestion of that food. And it isn't just this, and it's kind of misinterpreted, this significant increase in blood sugar. No matter what we have, we're going to have a certain amount, a certain amount of lethargy. Well, particularly in office environments. So uh, movement is a big part of it. It's actually 
Off you go, Dave. Everyone's watching doing some squats. Blood flow. And and it's it's about a it's about knowing that if you're stationary for long periods of time and there isn't much blood flow and you've been focusing on something for a long period of time or you haven't taken the time to eat something that is balanced. I have a very, very, very simple concept around nutrition that uh, some people find incredibly effective and it is the mixed meal concept. So it is it is exactly what we should be doing. But for some reason, saying it as a mixed meal seems to connect a little bit more carbohydrate, slow digesting, a protein sort and healthy fats. You, if you follow that principle for your main meals, you will feel completely different. But what people tend to do is grab a sandwich or have a, a, a carbohydrate, bit, a wrap, or they have something that's not mixed and not balanced nutritionally that does kind of inflate that bit of fatigue or that lethargy that we may feel in the afternoon and then it's back to the caffeine if we consume too much caffeine we're going to get that lull as well so it's it's the vicious circle of the habits that we're we're following not being effective and i would just simply say actually stop try something different adopt those three very very simple things with you know maybe standing for some of your meetings getting some fresh air uh, making sure you're hydrated not over consuming caffeine, certainly not in short periods of time and have a mixed meal uh, for your main meals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hugely interesting because I think when we see performance, we often straight away can associate with sport, with athletics. We don't think about business people and we would have seen it. Maybe it's wall street. Maybe it's my upbringing in the films I was watching, but there was almost a badge of honor cigarettes and coffee as a way to that's all I had today. I'm just go, go, go hustle, hustle. If we're looking at, performance for business people as well and often with the mindset towards nutrition it's something that's an additional it's supplementary to your day it's supplementary to your energy and how you feel how do you change and you've, you've said it in the book and building with top athletes and top clients they they adopt a positive mindset towards food they use it as something to boost their efforts to improve their performance how do you see the gap between that who people who don't take advantage of it and what's the first steps in changing that to say okay i want to be more positive around what i'm doing with food if you were like, even it's maybe a slightly extreme, well, it's not an extreme example. It's a perfectly good example of somebody in the business world who uh, it was a cigarette and it was coffee or it was skipping breakfast. Think about an athlete saying that or what the response would be, you know, and, and how, how, how ridiculous it sounds. If you want to do really well in a meeting or a presentation, or you're working on something that requires a lot of brain power, and you're saying I'm too busy, you know, yeah. it just, I mean, can you imagine some of the athletes coming to me and say, I just didn't bother, you know, it doesn't make, I, I just didn't see the value. I had too much on. I just left off the breakfast. You go, what? what are you, you idiot? Like, what are you talking about? I think Fred for United midfield yesterday had cigarettes and coffee before. The <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see the game, but I heard it was a frustrating draw. Right. <laughs> But and I'm not trying to label anybody an idiot either. But uh, but the point is that we're talking about two completely different cultures. But when then the culture of high performance, we're thinking we make every decision we should be making every decision we can to have a, a positive impact on our performance. It's the culture around it. It's not a badge of honor. It's it, you are undermining your performance. 
But what I would say is, uh, and this is the, the change, and I've tried to use my own experiences within uh, what I've shared in the book, but I've, I've begun to adopt a vision type of approach to behaviors and what we want to achieve. And if you're really clear uh, uh, around the vision for your behaviors or physically or in the projects that you're doing, what you're looking to achieve, well, now we need to establish the behaviors associated with that. And that's incremental. And if we can build incremental behaviors that lead to this vision and what we want to represent ourselves with, now now we're making progress. Yeah. So that's that. It's it's a simple, but it's very effective. What are you looking to achieve with Davy Nutrition? What's the what's the big thing you're aiming for with that? I, I have had uh, some great experiences uh, in sport i want to continue to work in sport that's the kind of thing that ignites my brain both when i'm playing whatever it might be and when i'm supporting somebody to realize their potential i i want people i want a greater number of people to feel what it's like to not have the burden both maybe physically but certainly mentally that I'm seeing out there a lot. So there's a lot of uh, anxiety and guilt associated with the reductionist type of approach to food. And I'm trying to build a, a very different message. And that's why I went with Eat Up again, uh, you know, as the message where it's not cut out, it's invest first. So a, a more people engaging with that idea uh, and that message. Uh, I want... I want to have as much integrity associated with uh, the the message uh, and what I share. And I'm going to be moving more towards course-led learning in, in the coming years. And I have this I have this vision of I'm I'm in, I'm I'm at home and so I was absolutely pissed in rain here uh, in Chaffpool and in Sligo, but I'm on my farm and I was out with my sheep at the weekend and I would love to connect high performance to the farming world in a in a physical way. So I have this long term vision whereby I would be able to share real life experiences of what real uh, fork. Uh, sorry, farm to fork would be like, mm. and it would be quite immersive. But I, I want to keep the value of cooking and food and agriculture, and I want to wrap it all together, and I want it to, to connect to high performance physically and mentally. Liver King now is listening and going, <laughs> I'm coming over to Sligo. Don't know if I've ever got as many questions about anything as Liver King. <laughs> Brian, huh? Let's not go into it. <laughs> with the with farm, farm to Fork, and I think from my experience of it, I tried to cook some or grow some veg, and when it succeeds, the the fulfillment it brings, the sort of I put that on the plate or that sort of energy you get from seeing something you harvested, something you nurtured um, to being something that's nurturing you now. What do you think it is the first step? I know we're in Ireland, so fertile land, like huge opportunity for growth for veg and things like that. What do people have to do? Is it accessibility to 
knowledge? Is it accessibility to allotments? What is the first step for us to adopt that approach? Well, I have started asking a lot of people uh, within my own circle and just out and about and, you know, we're moving a lot more and we're starting to meet people more. I'm asking people, are they cooking? And you'd be amazed how few people cook, you know, and, and I, I, when I say cook, I don't mean once a week. I mean that they consistently have a process around getting ingredients and preparing the meals that they have on a daily basis and uh, moving away from the mentality of, of, of convenience foods as much as we possibly can. And I was out on a potato farm in Meath uh, last month, and we have tremendous food available to us. But, you know, the consumption of potatoes is still way down on what it used to be. And I, I think the first step is is people actually, it's the mentality around food preparation, and it is using locally produces, produced food as much as we can and growing that. You know, I... I've been very honest with you. Uh, I've had um, some small herbs growing in the house and things like that, but it's it's the small things like supporting local and having foods that you know that your family really enjoy that you can produce and, and passing those those experiences on yeah. that I feel is the first step. I have herbs in my back garden. Good on you. Yeah, I'm very proud. Um, it, it's it's great, and I know exactly, I'm exactly what you're talking about. But I think even, I think even knowing that they're Paddy Reynolds potatoes, you know, <laughs> I think yeah. knowing where your food comes from on a different level, that's that's something. You know, there's something tangible about that. I had a brief experience of that living in London, going to get meat in stores, going to get meat in butchers. The butchers were always quite expensive and i'd normally end up going to a supermarket or a chain but a lot of them would say irish fed beef and stuff like that and i'd always go for that and then i see aldi and little sort of marketing and it's around this is paddy he's from he's from mead and he's producing this beef on his farm it's huge because i actually gravitate towards that but the message probably gets mixed because convenience foods have a strong marketing background and they're becoming more prominent in stores what's the sort of battle land at the moment between are convenience foods becoming more prevalent or is it more a case that the organic are having a, a good approach on individuals? My understanding is that the industry responds to consumer demand and consumers will drive the demand for whether it be protein products or whether it be convenience products. That's that's what tends to happen. I, I'm going to be very honest and say this. Uh, I know that it's only going to go more towards convenience foods you know what in the in is in the last there's some crazy stat about houses that are being built in in america not even have kitchens oh, not even, you, you know no. yeah like that's that's the way that the world is moving and it's usually the states the uk and ireland and we follow those type of trends it's it's scary you know it's it's scary to think that that's the way that the world is moving. Um, but you, you, you know, you can't let go of what you believe in either, you know, and, and, and what we have to do is when, when people are interested and when people are open, that you keep driving the value and reminding people of what it means, yeah. not just to support local, but to their health. Yeah. 
to their health. I want to ask you a little bit about that, Daniel, and, and the gut in particular, right? I have I have ulcerative colitis. I've had it since I was 18, so I know a lot about gut health. I've always been interested in it and also connection with the brain. And, you know, I'm starting to read, and you've got that research paper reference from, from this year as well. What is it that we people listening can understand a little bit more about the gut microbiome, pre-probiotics, and why it's something to just maybe read about or learn a little bit more about? Because it's involved in every aspect of our health. It's uh, our, our gut influences our mood. It influences our skin. It influences our immunity, uh, the production of essential nutrients. And our digestion has such a big impact on our well-being. And when I say our well-being, it, it's, it's how we feel day to day and our ability to perform and I, it, it's a huge thing now even in, in athletes and within sport there's a very close uh, focus on it because when you've got large volumes of food moving through the body uh, if they're not the right types of food or if they're not really suited to the person you're more likely to see gut issues and they come to come to the fore that's a slightly different issue but what what I can say is that we are we are only discovering more and more how important it is, and it needs attention. That word again, attention. In really simple terms, I think the wonderful thing about our gut is that it responds really well to a variety of foods, and it responds really well to good food, and the. In, in in very simple terms, the better our diet, the better our gut. And uh, there was a research study, I think it's back, it's almost 2017 now, it's almost five years ago, there was a study done on uh, the, gut, uh, the gut health or the microbiome in elite rugby players. And it showed that the diversity of good bacteria to bad bacteria in athletes' guts is better than the general population. And they put that down to variety, you know? So the more varied our, our food, the more fiber we consume, uh, the more that that good bacteria can uh, can use that as a food source themselves and, and increase. The more processed foods, uh, the more unhealthy fats, the more sugar that's in there, the more alcohol that's in there, the more that that will breed bad bacteria. And that upsets the balance uh, within the microbiome, leading then to a litany of of health potential health issues. Here's a random one: what you've said, elite rugby players and correct foods and liquids passing through the body. I'm a I'm a great man for English rugby at the weekend URC when I can. After games, there's a tradition of having a beer in the dressing room, not even just after a league game. Do you walk into them dressing rooms and go, oh? Just thinking about the beers and think, oh, geez, grimace a little bit. Or do you just, is it, is it fine because it's so close to a performance outlay, like exertion on the players? Well, the first thing I do is say, will you pass me one of them? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I uh, when I came in to sport and elite sports, particularly rugby, it was a massive culture shock. And I remember being in some of our team meetings and saying 
you know, actually saying this, you know, this is my opportunity to say something here. Uh, and it was a team management meeting. I said, I think we need to look at our, our alcohol behavior here because I, I think it's going to cost us in terms of our recovery. And I was absolutely shot down. <laughs> like, absolutely. Drink up. Not, you know, drink we're, up. <laughs> we are not going to control this. Uh, the players need their outlet. It's part of the culture. There's no way we're going to change it. And I remember at the time going, this is bonkers. You know, I was coming from particularly GAA. My experience there was six month and three month you know, alcohol bans and <laughs> we're not consuming any alcohol. And then the, the week before some of our biggest European games, the lads are drinking in the dressing room, it's just bonkers. And then you begin to realize that that's a symbol of just enjoying the moment and enjoying that just that short window after the game. And that's how they're doing it. Some players did it. Some players didn't do it. Uh, but in the, in the large, uh, it was never excessive consumption by and large. And uh, it is like sport is about enjoyment and is about the game. Um, so on one hand, you're going, you're dehydrated you your focus should be food it should be a carbohydrate protein you know you're talking about gut health you might be carrying an injury and you're thinking about inflammation you know and then you just got to go hang on a second you know this is the reality of it and as long as it's not excessive then uh, i'm not going to encourage it but uh, it's um it's just part of it it's just part of it you'll partake in the corner yeah yeah <laughs> and and to be honest with you Again, I mentioned it in the book, a part of participating in, in more of those experiences definitely allowed me to connect on a much greater, deeper level with those players to make bigger changes in the long term. Yeah. Nearly my last one, Phil. I'd like to ask a bit more about food balance and eggs in particular, because well, if you look, you go into a gym, everyone's having eggs and everyone's, <laughs> we all like scrambled eggs and poached eggs, eggs Benedict, eggs Florentine free-range organic you know from the farm yes but is people actually ask me quite a lot i'm a physio i'm not a nutritionist how many eggs are good should i have the whites raw um, eggs raw eggs you know what's your advice on eggs i know yeah i'm not surprised you get it a lot because i get a it a lot too and if you look at the literature if you look at the science around uh, the consumption of eggs, it's kind of gone, you know, it's gone like that where there's been periods of times where, you you know, you shouldn't eat eggs at all uh, because of the cardiovascular risk and because of the impact on, on blood cholesterol levels. And then, you know, that was kind of disproven and the, the connection between eggs and cholesterol and cardiovascular disease was was kind of dismissed. And then uh, people start eating loads of eggs and then eggs were back on the on on the, the kind of the, the discussion boards again. And uh, the it's it seems that it is like an awful lot of things very much dependent on your your genetic makeup um and whether that's going to have whether it's going to have an influence on you and your health or not and i'm i'm talking about you know i'm talking about excessive egg consumption i'm not talking about one or two eggs here and there uh, for somebody 
where there's very where you're healthy, optimum weight, you're fit and well, your blood lipid profile is in a really good place, then you know two eggs a day or fourteen or fifteen eggs a week is is still going to be in a very safe kind of balanced space. Um, and I I think it's it's looking at foods. Uh, in isolation is very problematic because our bodies don't work like that. But I'm kind of trying to quote the literature and the science while giving practical advice and guidance and saying, you know, are, are we really going to be eating that many eggs in any case that's going to make that much difference to our long-term health? I, I just can't see there being that issue, if that makes sense. Does that make sense after that ramble? No, six egg omelet tomorrow now. <laughs> no, You're not going to eat six egg omelet every day. Yeah, no, not every you know. Day. Do you know? No, but I do eat a lot of eggs. I probably yeah. have. I would have twenty a week for sure. Um, oh yeah, scrambled, scrambled, poached. poached. My my kids like eggs, so I make them eggs. So if you went and got your, you know, when's the last time you got your bloods done? Oof. Two years ago. Two oh. years ago. And was your lipid. Blood, li- blood lipid profile really good? It was, okay. it was probably okay because it wasn't mentioned. I presume it was okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so then, you know, it, it's absolutely not an issue. If you were hypertensive, um, you had high triglycerides, <coughs> you had high LDL, you were overweight, and, you know, you're, you've got cardiovascular disease um i i would be just that little bit more cautious uh about how i would approach it but having said that i don't think it was the eggs in the first place and i don't think the eggs are going to be the problem anyway do you know what i mean yeah but i'm again it's kind of looking at very individual circumstances chicken and the egg it's all the points it's a um (laughs) well look speaking of food what's your favorite food i absolutely don't have one well i i absolutely i i think it's like uh it's really like if uh um it's an overall approach or mindset towards my food is that if i'm not sometimes having spicy food or if i'm not sometimes having savory and asian and fish and if i'm not mixing it up it's so mood dependent do you not think it's mood dependent men oh it is for me yeah i had halloumi and eggs yesterday gorgeous and i haven't had halloumi i couldn't eat it today wouldn't doesn't even interest me today eggs (laughs) (laughs) if i don't feel like i addressed like i would love to have said eggs are no problem eat as many as you possibly want Good. Written down. <laughs> I'll tell my little man because variety for him, ham and cheese sandwich for lunch, and he yeah. likes his eggs. Like he, you know, we're not yet on the Asian food with him. <laughs> he likes salmon and he's only five. Well, that's so good. That'll evolve. It'll evolve. Yeah. Don't It'll force evolve. it. Trying to, you know, nudge. Yeah. yeah. Daniel, you know from the show and hopefully from listening as well that we ask the signature question, but I'm gonna change it a little bit today and eat up the next level is the name of the new book. What does the next level mean to you? There's a next level of information in this book, uh, and I've, I've, it's been informed by my experience around working with injured athletes and athletes and people I work with looking for more information on how to support their immune system. 
But that's not where the real wins have come for me. It's been that focus on on mindset and how you build consistency. And the next level really for me is a, is a new language around nutrition and a new language around food. And it's a language of positivity. It's a it's self-talk around our behaviors and our attitudes towards food that are that are really positive. But you also begin to notice when you're not being positive and how you can come to terms and, and deal with those moments. So it's uh, it's our mindset. The next level in nutrition is is our mindset and our experience of of food and uh really given that value Daniel Davy, thanks very much for today we got loads from it really enjoyed it and thanks for answering so many interesting questions for us really enjoyed it and the only thing that people remember is that I didn't answer the eggs with <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks you thank you very much man thank you chat to you soon thank you for listening to today's episode of sleep eat perform repeat a story of high performance this was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.